millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Hello and welcome to Darren Goss Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. With no IPL squeezing the schedule, we are back to two hours this week and it's just as well because we have loads to talk about. First up, England v Pakistan and the return of Joss Butler. He has to be himself, you know, go out and express himself. He's found a, um, a way of being consistent in that format and hopefully that can cross over. Brings leadership ability. He's playing with such high confidence and flair at the moment. Fabulous form in the IPL with the white ball, striking it well, clearly seeing it like a football. Strike while the iron is hot and get him in the side. We will hear the thoughts of Nasser Hussain, Mike Atherton and national selector Ed Smith as we build up to the first test match against Pakistan. And on the topic of Pakistan, we are going to be joined by a man who scored a century on test debut against them. Ireland's Kevin O'Brien. And that's it. It's 100 for Kevin O'Brien. The hero of Bangalore is the maestro of Malahide. And to celebrate the test getting back underway, we're going to replay a test of time. Darren Goff and Marcus Truscothic looking back to that famous series in Pakistan back in 2000. Amazing, really. Really giving me sort of like the taste I've needed really for international cricket. It's a very unique place, Pakistan. Some great places to go and see and see something different. All this plus we look ahead to the final week of the Indian Premier League and have a county cricket roundup. You're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week and we're on TalkSport 2. And with me, as usual, on a Monday evening is Johnny Norman. Oh, How are you doing, Johnny? I'm good, I'm good. I'm glad to see I've still got a job. After missing last oh. week's uh, show, Harmy stepping in for me. Um, I was a, a little fearful as the week progressed that I was going to get, you know, that text. And it's always on a Friday. Bosses tell you bad news on a Friday. So you can you don't make a scene, you just leave and you stew on it at the weekend. But I'd like thankfully, wow. It's nice of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, another busy week, Goffey. And look, uh, regular listeners will know that I'm not here to uh, to blow smoke up the uh, up the backside. But 
Um, I couldn't help but notice when the team was selected for the first test match this week, a certain name uh, of Don Bess, who you picked, uh, well, you picked in your team about a month ago. Uh, and Six Josh, months ago, to be fair. Well, actually, yeah, we had this, <laughs> well, before the show even existed. Yeah. Um, so Don Bess in and Joss Butler. Joss Butler, the one, the man, though, who seems to have split the Twitter sphere. Uh, what, what's your take on his inclusion as a batting, non-wicket-keeping, number seven? Uh, first of all, um, with the Butler call, um, I, I totally get it. Um, I think, what's the worst that can happen? If you look at our performances throughout the winter, England were often 120, 130 for five. Um, Bairstow had to get us out of the, um, what you call it, mm. on numerous occasions. But Johnny, you just want Johnny to be able to bat. You want somebody coming in at seven, what's the worst can happen? We'd be, do what we did in the winter, get 180, 190 all out. If Josh Butler bats for two hours, we end up getting 300, 310. Um, and gives you a chance of winning. Now, the problem he has last time he played, you only have to look at his averages. He's not a dig-deep type batsman. He averages around 30 in first class, 31 in first class level. He's got to be given a license. Right, you're going to bat at seven. There's your license. They put Johnny up now to five with the looks of it. Um, They need his runs. He's he's our second uh, best batsman. He could even argue best batsman at this moment in time in the England side. And you want Butler to come in and play his natural game. Not dig deep, dig in, score quickly, play your natural game. 360 degrees player. We've seen that in the IPL. For me, if you can play in one day cricket, you can play test cricket. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> but the stats will tell you that... You know, it's, I've, I've lost count of the As a batsman, though, no, no, Johnny, listen to what I'm saying. The stats will tell you exactly. As a batsman, the stats will tell you, but it'll average 31. But at seven, if you say to him, go and play like you do in the one-day game, we might see a different Josh Butler. That's what they're hoping on, to change the momentum of the game, which has been uh, one of our biggest problems in the winter, has been the collapses down the bottom. Now, the worst that can happen with Butler batting at seven is it can happen again. But now and again, he will take the game away from the opposition. That's the reason he's been selected. Well, now and again... Um, I'm not sure that's good enough for a number of seven, especially if up to now we've had Bairstow, who's been doing uh, a, a lot better than that. But the other thing is this, Goffey. Two weeks ago, we were sitting in this show talking about how Joss Butler's had a poor IPL. Uh, you were of the opinion that in that uh, Rajasthan Royals team, he should be batting up the order. Uh, now, immediately that happened. He was promoted up the order, and the, the returns were astonishing. Uh, he just he's now the leading run scorer for Register Royals and he's turned it round in 10 days. Now, I've just got the feeling that if he hadn't done that, he wouldn't be in this test squad. Mm. Now, I and I don't think that those innings have got any relevance to him or shouldn't have any relevance to him being in the test squad. Now, you talk about having license to go out there and, and play his natural game at number seven. Well, he's played 90% of his test matches at number seven. And, but he's tried but to play as a batsman. That. That's the point. He has tried to play as a batsman. He's now going to go in and play. Yes, he's still that player. He's still going to be a batsman, batting in the top seven. But the, the total mindset of the way they want him to play has changed. When he first came in, he thought, I'm going to dig in here and bat and play like a bat. I've got to, get, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got to make sure I don't play any rash shots. Now it's totally different. They know why they want him in the side. I to bet score you, quickly. I bet you, Goffey, right here, right now, it doesn't work. Because well, I've we'll heard so many t- people. Alex Hales is the same. 
Just go out there, play your natural game. And it's easy to say it, but mm. it is quite another in the test arena. This isn't back-to-back IPL games. This isn't going to... You've got to take advantage of the power play. You know, this isn't uh, two men outside the circle. This isn't, if you fail today, you've got another game in three days' time and no one actually remembers who you're playing anyway. This is test cricket. And if he walks to the crease with a score 120 for five, I'm sorry, I do not see Joss Butler going out there and playing the kind of innings we see against four, oh, four Registan Royals. Similarly, if he goes out there and it's 350 for five, well, I don't really see the point of that innings anyway. Hmm. I think it's a really strange decision and it actually smacks of populism. I don't think it makes any sense. What does make sense to me is Joss Butler in the test side, but only if A, he's played red ball cricket, and B, he's batting in the top six and his batting does, d- demands it. See, I, I, I don't get the red ball thing. Um, the obsession by a game of cricket is a game of cricket, right? Um, yet, in an ideal world, what they should have said is, but, and, and, and this is where you've got a point. Uh, because it's, oh, hang on a minute, Josh Butler, he's just scored five fifties in a row, we've got to pick him. That's what it looks like. Yeah, mm. I can see that totally. Because if it didn't, if it wasn't like that, they would have rung him up and said, Mark Wood's coming back. He's going to come and play for Durham um, against Derby because he wants to get in the test side. What we'd like to see, Josh, right, is you come back, play for Lancashire in a four-day game because we're going to pick you in the first test. It don't mean you have to come back and score runs. We're picking you, but we would like you to get some time in the middle with the red ball, if if at all possible, at all possible. But what it seems like, and I get where you're coming from, is but oh, Josh Butler, he's got five fifties. Let's pick him. They've not gone for the guys who have scored a lot of runs. Where they could have played a youngster at seven. They could have easily played Ollie Pope at yeah. number seven. They could have played Joe Clark at seven. They could have done that. They could have even played young Harry Brook from Yorkshire at seven. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of options they could have picked there. They could have picked Livingston from Lancashire at seven. They could have done lots of uh, different things, but they've gone back to the guy who everyone knows from playing destructive innings and is a popular, popular pick amongst some of the younger generation out there. Let's hear from the national selector, Ed Smith. Uh, James Savindra, Talk Sports uh, cricket reporter James Savindra, caught up with him at the announcement for England's test squad. So the first thing we did was we looked at how can we improve uh, the performance of the top five and the selection panel decided that moving Johnny Bairstow to number five was a really strong move. Johnny Bairstow is also excited by that challenge as well. And then Joe Root wanted to do what's best for the team. He put his hand up and said, oh, about three. So then the question becomes, you know, what about the other roles? Now, Mark Stone was considered as an opening batsman where he's always batted as an opener and the selection panel was very happy to continue with Mark Stoneman and Alistair Cook as the openers. Situation then, uh, the, the next situation we looked at was who should bat, you know, alongside Joe Root, but before Johnny Bairstow. And the decision was made to omit James Vince. Now, James Vince has obviously played 13 test matches, averaging 24, but it's wider than that. And I'll say exactly the same thing to you that I said to James Vince on the phone in person today which is that there's no doubt James Vince can play. He can really play handsomely and look at a test player. Of course he can. But if you look at the history of his cricketing uh, output, his ability to produce the kind of score that he produced actually in the last few days, those scores have come around too infrequently. Now, if that 201 not out can be the start of a new habit of batting for eight hours, then of course the door is not closed on him, and that's what I've told him today. But so far we felt he has not produced enough match-defining innings in an England shirt or indeed elsewhere in cricket, so the decision was made to leave him out. A lot of people will be really excited to see the inclusion of Joss Butler 
Is that a reflection of his IPL record this season? And if so, are you confident he can replicate that form in the Test match environment? It's not just about the IPL, it's about everything with Joss. Obviously, Joss Butler is an integral part of England's white ball cricket in both forms. He brings leadership ability. He's playing with such high confidence and flair at the moment that the selection panel felt this was just the ideal time to reintroduce him into Test cricket. Having decided that the batting order was going to be different and then that created that number seven slot and how are we going to use that to pick a player with a point of difference, something special... And I think Joss is, is admired as one of the most you know, exciting and talented players in world cricket. And it just the selection panel felt this was exactly the right moment to reintroduce him into test cricket. And that's what we've done. Uh, so Joss Butler plays as a number seven batsman only. And Joe Root moved up to three. We, mm. we'll, we'll talk about Don Bess um, and James Vince and a couple of other selections uh, uh, later in the show. But uh, for me, the other standout uh, announcement... Joe Root finally um, moving up the order to number three. Your thoughts? Joe Root batting at three. I don't think he matters where he bats three or four. He's a top-class player and he'll just... Uh, he's normally in in the first two or three overs anyway, so I don't yeah. think it's going to be a, an issue for Joe Root batting three. I really don't think it, it, it is. We've seen plenty of batsmen do it in the past. Ian Bell's bat at three, four, five, six, seven. Um, Joe Root is that talented. He can bat absolutely anywhere. And he's the captain. Takes some responsibility. And I think Joe... Uh, will work at three until uh, <laughs> if it doesn't work we need to find somebody who can bat three because it's at the minute there is no one a lot of people said Alistair Cook should bat at three um, and we should play say Gubbins Jennings and play Cook at three I heard that one uh, spouted about by quite a few people uh, this week um, I, I don't see the point in that if you're going to play Alistair Cook he has to open the button if, he, if he's not good enough to open the button he doesn't play simple Simple indeed. Well, it should be simple, but it's anything but. Uh, anything but. Uh, we've got plenty more to discuss uh, on Cricket Week uh, this week. We're going to continue our preview with the first Test match uh, against Pakistan for England, starting at Lords on Thursday. Uh, we're going to be talking to a man who's just scored a century, a Test century against Pakistan, Kevin O'Brien. A wonderful Test match uh, that was uh, taking place uh, in. Uh, Ireland finished at the start of last week. Uh, an IPL uh, preview to the last week, as we now know the last four clubs to make it through to the elimination week. County preview, test of time. Uh, if I don't stop speaking, we're never going to cram it in. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. So, Goffey, we've got uh, Alistair Cook, who averaged about 20 over the last seven tests, with Mark Stoneman, who everyone thought was going to get dropped, which I thought would have been a bit harsh, as openers. Joe Root uh, batting at three. He doesn't want to bat at three. Darwin Milan at four. He's never batted at four, and he's been a success at five. Johnny Bairstow at five. Uh, he's been a success at seven, never really been a success at five. Stokes at six. Stokes has only been playing IPL cricket for the last uh, month and looks scratchy uh, when he played uh, test cricket in February, March. And then Butler at seven, um, even though he's failed at seven consistently throughout his test career. That, for me, doesn't address the problems that we've got within the side. And uh, for every positive article I've read over the last week saying that we're going to brush aside Pakistan... Uh, you can see why the uh, the groundsman at Lords 
with the conditions that we're uh, expecting over the next week, would probably have been told to prepare or requested nicely to prepare a flat pitch because that is a batting order that still, to me, uh, sends the warning sounds or warning sirens buzzing. I think what they want at Lords um, is the fl- a flattish pitch. Because they want our batsmen after the winter they've just had to get off to an absolute decent start and build their confidence leading into the Indian series. Now, they'll look at Pakistan and thinking, yeah, they're a decent side. Um, they've not started uh, the summer off as good as they possibly can with a the ball. Uh, they've been OK. Uh, they've got Mohamed Amir, who's obviously a fantastic performer, who's struggling a little bit with his knee. I know he's um, raised doubts. There has been doubts raised about that uh, over the last uh, few weeks, but he did bowl in the nets before the Leicester games, uh, just to ease those fears to Pakistan supporters. Uh, Abbas, who bowled well in that first uh, test against Ireland, absolutely brilliant, actually. Uh, figures uh, nine uh, wickets uh, for just over 100 in the match. But other than that, they're really struggling. The spinner has not got off to a flyer. Um, and so, on the bowling front, they've got nothing real for England to worry about. And on the batting front, they have only got, or still got, might have three now, uh, three players who have got Test 100s in their starting eleven. So that's a bit of concern to Pakistan as well. Uh, Don Bess has been selected in the squad. We'll have to wait and see whether he actually plays or not. But a player that you identified a long time ago. Uh, and all of this, despite only playing a handful of first-class uh, games, a youngster, um, raw. Um, but there's something in him you liked. Tell us a little bit more. Well... I tend, I think we don't look at the detail of the, the individual and the makeup of a person, um, his personality, the way he trains, um, the way he performs, uh, competitive nature, whether he has good days, whether he has bad days. And you've got to remember, he's number two spinner almost uh, for Somerset, but I think he's led the attack at times um, over Jack Leach uh, as well, who was obviously a, um, a good county performer. And he had his chance in New Zealand. Unfortunately, he's got a broken uh, finger, so he's not available for selection. But with Don Best, what I've got there, I've seen him train up close. I was over in Australia a few years ago. He was on the Lehman Academy. I saw him play uh, cricket for the club side he played for out there. Proper competitor. as a young lad playing in A-grade cricket. I saw a lot of good things about Don Bess and it's not surprised me his rise through the ranks pretty quickly as well. He can bat, he's a, an aggressive bowler for an off-spinner and he's absolutely a fantastic fielder as well. So I think he's got all three attributes. You need to be a test cricketer. He's now just going to do the business. He's got a chance. He's now going to get the wickets, he's going to get the runs and he's going to show his personality on the pitch. Uh, Mark Woods, the Durham Seamer, fresh from uh, his one game for Chennai Super Kings in the IPL on TalkSport 2. Speaking to Sky Sports News, he's one of the few England players who knows a little bit about Don Bess. I played him a little bit with the England Lions in the winter, and he's a, a great lad uh, and one that tried to get better every time he was sort of out there. So I'm really looking forward to what he can do. I think he, he'll obviously be nervous. Hopefully I can pass on a little bit of what it was like for me at Lords on my debut, but I kind of wait to, to get started with him. Well, uh, it's going to be uh, much focus and attention on Don Best, but uh, really, this is a make-or-break year for Mark Woods in the Test Arena, you'd have to say, Goffey. He's, uh, he's had mm. a few goes now. It's very difficult to see England persevering with him uh, unless he makes, if he does play, unless he makes a go of things against Pakistan in this two-test series. Yeah, um, it's been a stop-start career for, for Mark Wood. Uh, as you've 
no, I'm a massive fan. I was calling uh, for him to be selected uh, last year. Um, he's now fit. Um, unfortunately, he didn't get to play many games in the IPL. Um, didn't do well in the first game. They didn't pick him after that, which I think was a bit harsh. Uh, but he bit, is different. Yeah. I mean, he I'm... was in New Zealand on the Tuesday playing a test <laughs> match, and then he was in India playing an IPL game. His yeah. first ever match in <laughs> India six days later. Yeah, totally different lengths, and uh, I thought it was a bit harsh um, on that. But he came back. He didn't bowl great in the first innings, actually. I spoke to the bowling coach, Chris Silwood. Uh, England bowling coach, and he said um, he spoke to him after the first day, and he, he didn't have great rhythm. Uh, but that's going to happen, isn't it? He'd gone from New Zealand to India to mm. England, and and they had like 24 hours, 48 hours uh, to prepare. Um, second innings bowled beautiful by all accounts. Uh, six wickets bowled a great length. Is um, aggressive. He bowls at the stumps, and if the pitch with the weather we've uh, we've been having the last few days and set to carry on into this week. It might just suit him. Skid through, ball at 90 miles an hour, ball a good length, skid through. I had success at Lords from being not so tall and a similar type of bowler. He's a bit quicker than I was. So I'd like to think he can have success at Lords. I don't think he was a bit quicker than you. I think he was consistently quicker than me. Um, I think our, our quick balls are probably around the same, but I think he's just got a little bit on me, probably by a couple of miles per hour. But if he gets the lengths right and gets more consistency with his length, I think he can be a top performer for England on good pitches. Now, if the ball, if the pitch is going to be green and it's going to swing and seem around mm. overcast conditions, I think Wokes, Wokes. Uh, is the man you would have to go for. But if the pitch is a bit flat, you need somebody different. You've got Anderson and Broad who can move the ball around and ball good lengths off the seam. You need someone when the pitch is flat who might just ball a great 92 miles an hour Yorker, a bouncer that the batsman will fend off. And Woody, at the moment, is the only type uh, we've got. There is some youngsters out there who can do it, uh, but they've not been given the opportunity at this time, whether it be Gleeson, whether it be Ollie Stone, uh, that type of bowler. But um, Mark Wood's got the first chance. Uh, Michael Atherton, he was a guy who liked uh, good batting conditions at Lords. Uh, was on the breakfast show and gave his thoughts on the England team, starting with another guy that we have yet to discuss, Alistair Cook. He's had a curious uh, 12 or 18 months, really. He's, mm. he's a bit feast or famine. If he gets in, he tends to get 200, yeah. or, or he doesn't get many. Yeah. Um, and, of course, one of his great strengths down here, he's been a fantastic player for England for a long time. He's more than 12,000 test runs, and one of his great strengths has been his consistency yeah. over the years. But he's a little bit lost that of yeah. late, so they'll be hoping... Um, that he gets back to, to a bit more consistent form at the top of the order. Mark Stoneman, it's a huge couple of test matches. I was going to say, he's probably a little bit fortunate, isn't he, given the, the way yeah, he's most people, the season? most people thought that he might have made way for somebody else, maybe Gubbins or Keaton Jennings, maybe, who mm. knows. Um, but I think just because of the number of opening batsmen that they've chosen over the last couple of years... Yeah. And the fact that it was quite a tough winter. And, and Stoneman shaped okay at times. He looked, you know, he looked quite a good player at times. But just hasn't been able to crack on and really nail a big score. So yeah. they will obviously hope he does that. Joe Root, apparently under his own volition, wants to go up the order to number three. I think that's the best place for him to bat. And what there is now, with pushing Best up to five, Milan four, Stokes six, Butler seven... You've got a much better balance of right and left-handers. I mean, one of the problems in the Ashes was just the number of left-handers England had, and Nathan yeah. Lyon had a field day. 
whereas now there's a better balance. And, of course, the, the really big talking point from the squad was the recall of Joss Butler. Uh, he hasn't played since a uh, tour of India, which was right at the end of Alistair Cook's yeah. uh, days as captain. And he hasn't played any championship cricket, really, for Lancashire. I think he played something like three games last year, one the year before that, none the year before that. You know, he's essentially been lost to the to the long form of the game. He's in the IPL. He hasn't played any championship cricket this year. But he's in, he's in rip-roaring form for the Rajasthan Royals. And, you know, That's great stuff. I love watching that, Michael. Yeah, the no, IPL it's, uh, I was insane. there, actually, for 10 days. Um, I went and followed the Rajasthan Royals, actually. It's the first time I've been to the IPL. Um, thoroughly enjoyable mm. experience. And, you know, it's a funny thing, but I think the biggest difference is the weather. You know, yeah. every yeah. night yeah. at 8 o'clock in the evening, it was 30 degrees and mm. just beautiful temperatures to watch cricket. Michael, you mentioned just one last one. You mentioned uh, pace done England and Australia. So how do you, uh, when you're playing county, you don't face that sort of pace. So how do you get mm. used to pace, facing pace bowlers that speed? Well, there are some pace bowlers in England, but of course the conditions are very different and most of the championship cricket is played early season and late season where the pitches are a bit softer and the ball uh, nibbles around off the seam. So bowlers who are successful in early and late season English conditions are not necessarily the bowlers that would be successful uh, on flatter pitches abroad. But how do you get used to the pace? Well, you've got things like bowling machines uh, in the indoor school. You can crank that up to 90, 100 miles an hour. Um, so there are ways of conditioning yourself as a professional batsman to yeah. cope with pace. Um, but the best way is usually trying to face it in the middle as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be the issue for England. They'll, they'll be very successful at home. I'd, I'd, I'd be... I'd be pretty confident that they'll do well against Pakistan mm. in early season English conditions but then they'll go to Sri Lanka in October and November and the Caribbean in February oh, March lovely. and those conditions will be very different for the bowlers to, to England in, in April May Cool, you could really hear uh, Al perking up at the end of that, didn't you? Oh, sort of, uh, oh, lovely, Caribbean. Yeah, well, Al, look at the time difference. Um, Mark Stoneman and Alistair Cook opening up for England. Uh, there was some feeling that, uh, and I think you might have uh, agreed. In fact, you did. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you were saying that uh, maybe Jennings and Gubbins should come in and start in the top three. But when you look at Stoneman, the ten, 10 matches he's played, he's hit five fifties. Now, he hasn't gone on past 60, but he's dug sure. it out. He's come up against some a serious examination in the ashes. Um, and while he'll be disappointed not to have kicked on past 60, surely, after all the chopping and changing over the last uh, five or six years, he's worth persevering with for at least another couple of games. Yeah, I, I, I thought they would have left him out. Um, I thought they would have gone uh, for the form guy, whether it be Jennings, whether it be Gubbins. But... Uh, I'm, I'm glad they've stuck with him in a way. Um, he's showed some potential. He gets starts, doesn't he? He mm. just seems to get out. The Woody would be against the quicker bowlers again. But let's just think about the pitches we're going to be playing on. Mm. We're playing against um, India. Yes, they've got a good seam attack now, India, compared to a couple of years ago away from home. Uh, but they still haven't got raw pace, have they? Uh, they've got good bowlers, but not raw pace. Yeah. Well, Bummer's. Yeah, yeah you, he's, he's, right. he's, he's not raw pace. Um, he's difficult to face. I think he's a, a, a quality performer, by the way. Mm. Uh, but they've got people like Kumar as well. And he's, Yadav. he's slow. Yeah, Yadav is, is nippy. Yeah, he can be. Um, 
but I, I just think they have. And Pakistan, similar. I think Mohamed Amir is a fantastic performer. He's not a 90 miles an no. hour bowler. So that I think that this summer, it's a big one for him, the Pakistan series. He's going to have to get runs. He's going to have to get off to a good start, solid start. And this is another reason I think the pitches will be pretty good against uh, Pakistan, especially at Lords. Um, so I'm glad they've stuck with him, but he's got to get hundreds. He's got to get three figures. If you're going to open the batting for England, yeah. you can't play as many tests as he's played already and not get to three figures. As an opener, your job is to get hundreds. Mike Atherton, Alistair Cook, yes, they got Michael Vaughan, got lots of low scores, but they also got some absolute huge scores. So that's what you have to do as an opening batsman, whether you're getting, whether you're getting um, whether you get out naught against the new ball, because that will happen um, when you're uh, opening the batting. But when you get in, you've got to cash in. Uh, one of the greatest batsmen ever to play for England, one of the most prolific batsmen of the modern era, Alistair Nathan Cook. Uh, he reaches three figures, but it is feast or famine. When he reaches three figures, he goes past 200. Can we continue to persevere with a guy that seems to only score... Uh, one one in eight <laughs> test matches or so from here on in. Are we really going to continue to put up with that? I think he's suffered. Do you know what he's, I think he's suffered with? And I think it's one of the problems we have. We've seen it now, some of our cricketers. When they get out of form, they find it very difficult to get back in. And the reason is, is it was nobody's picked up on it yet, is but all they do now is play test cricket. Alistair Cook plays test cricket. He goes home in the winter from the ashes, doesn't do anything, sits on the farm, then rocks up out to New Zealand and is expected to perform straight away. There's no cricket in between, but that even happens in the summer. Obviously, last year was a bit different because we had a World Cup, so Alistair had to play some county cricket for Essex and they benefited. And look at the form he was in uh, going into it, um, uh, with Essex going on and benefit from it and winning the title. So our players... People like Josh Butler, people like Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad don't really play for their counties anymore. So when they get out of form, they find it very difficult to get back in form. Well, that's a, that's a new one, I must admit. You make a point, but I haven't heard too much Test cricket being a, a, an excuse for a, a drop-off in form. But there is a point to be to be made there. Uh, and it also goes back to why Alistair wasn't playing a little bit more Red Bull cricket at the start of the County Championship. Uh, the County Championship, something we will be covering later on in the show, and the Indian Premier League. We've got Test of Time. Uh, we are going to be talking about Ireland-Pakistan. And the 100, Goffey's old mate Colin Graves getting a lot of stick. And I don't think uh, much of it was justified in the last week. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Wipe this time, cut away, four more. You cannot bowl there to anybody, let alone Joseph Butler. 18 from poor delivery. Butler goes... Oh, my word, he's done him again. He's simply scooped that even finer this time over the side screen. Six more. This is astounding work yet again. Right, where's my maths? Four, 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 six, six. Butler taking it off, stump guard. And this one is fuller and he's punched beautifully. Oh. A classic extra cover drive by Josh Butler all along the floor. Doesn't try to overhit it. It's a 70% shot. 
but it still scuds away for four. It's not just about the IPL, it's about everything with Joss. Obviously, Joss Butler is an integral part of England's white ball cricket in both forms. He brings leadership ability. He's playing with such high confidence and flair at the moment that the selection panel felt this was just the ideal time to reintroduce him into Test cricket. Well, it must be a form thing because he's done nothing in red ball cricket that would warrant it. So, uh, you know, he's fabulous form in the IPL with the white ball, striking it well, clearly seeing it like a football. Um, um, Ed Smith has obviously decided that, you know, strike while the iron is hot and get him in the side. There are certain guys I think it's worth just taking that extra punt for. You know, your average cricketer, once you've seen him a few times, you say enough's enough, but... Joss is such a freak. We travel the world commentating, watch the game, and people come up and when, they, when he plays in white ball cricket and just say, crikey, this lad can play. How does he not play in all formats for you? Um, you know, the reason is he averages something like 31 in first-class cricket. I think he's only got 400s, and he's played on two good pitches at Taunton and Old Trafford, so he hasn't quite cracked red ball cricket. But as I say, I think there's certain individuals you are, it's worth just going that extra yard for to give them that extra opportunity because you know if he does crack it, he could be absolutely sensational. So I think it is a good, bold, brave uh, pick with Ed Smith with his first selection. You must be excited about uh, Sky Sports' lineup for this summer. I mean, it is tremendous, isn't it? I mean, the, you've got Pakistan, Australia and India alone coming in the men's game and, and of course the women's game growing massively as well with South Africa and New Zealand so and all the domestic competitions a lot of cricket yeah it, it's been good we've had a, a few weeks off we've had the IPL stuff and, and a couple of us myself and Bumble and Rob Key went over for that and that's just been such a dynamic tournament it really is it's incredible being out there and watching the young Indian batsmen smash it everywhere so it's nice to get the teeth in we're, we're at um Old Trafford, and it's nice to get the teeth into sort of domestic cricket here. And then two, you know, fabulously well-supported sides in Pakistan. Mercurial Pakistan, one minute they can be down. You know, you look at the Champions Trophy last summer when they were getting hammered by everyone. Three weeks later, they win the thing. Um, and then India with, you know, some of the godlike names of world cricket are over here, whether it be Dhoni in white ball cricket or... You know, the golden boy of world cricket, Virat Kohli, who's over here with Surrey pretty soon, actually, but then straight into uh, the India series. We've got Australia, and there's obviously some bad blood there mm. after various things that have happened this winter. And then women's cricket, who will ever forget that wonderful bet. Our highest audience um, last year, I think maybe ever, actually, is, was, our, was the Women's World Cup final wow. last, last summer when England beat India. So we are very much looking forward to that as well. Sky Sports and uh, former England captain Nasser Hussain there uh, speaking on Hawksby and Jacobs on TalkSport last week. That's absolutely fascinating, isn't it, Goffey? The most watched cricket event in 2017, the Women's World Cup final. Um, and, you know, we're going to be talking about the 100 a little bit later and the problem attracting youngsters to the game. But when it comes to women's cricket, there just seems to be a, a lot more positivity in and around the sport. Exactly. I think it's been a sport. Um, ladies cricket has been improving year on year. 
um, especially the one-day game. Uh, they're lucky enough now. Uh, some of them can go and play in some of the overseas tournaments in Australia. It's been a huge success, the Big Bash ladies tournament over there. We've seen the next level now, the IPL are under a pressure to have a ladies tournament, and it should they should be. Uh, it's the biggest tournament in the world. Cricket is so popular in India, men and women. And um, what they've done, they're having a little bit of a tester, aren't they, um, In the during the first qualifying um, final. Uh, just before that, they're yeah. going to have the IPL Supernovas team versus the IPL Trailblazers. And that's going to have in it, Johnny, 26 players and 10 international stars from Australia, England and New Zealand will be in that lineup. Well, that's a positive thing. Um, does that raise the spectre that you could get a women's IPL in the same way that, of course, you've got the successful women's Big Bash League? Yeah, that's what they're up for. I mean, they're under pressure to do it, aren't they? So you say, look how big the IPL is, and it's been going for so long now. It's a huge success. Um, the organisers reckon they won an IPL within three years. I think it'll happen before that. I think it'll happen pretty quickly. First thing they've got to do is attract owners, though, to buy the teams. Mm. Um, because I don't think it'll be in the same amount of money the men are earning but yet again it's going to take time but the women's game is improving and it's becoming more and more popular now the biggest criticism i've got another one of this the ladies cricket would have been playing uh, t20 competitions franchise cricket over here doing the testing and it's been excellent and that's why we're doing now this competition coming up in a few years but they've stopped that competition in 2020 and, and the ladies are just going to play under ball now as far as i'm concerned they should play both. They should have a T20 competition and they should have an 100-ball competition. Why take one away and give them another one? I'm, I'm a little confused at what they're doing with the women's game because it, they've invested a lot in the Kia Super League. Yep. It's been, should carry on. It's been successful. It's been broadcast in 2017, will be again in 2018. When you look at the women's big bash, okay, and, and this is, for me... Is, is where all leagues should be aiming for. The Women's Big Bash League, okay, was streamed online um, at the start of the 2017-18 season. I can't remember the, uh, the the channel that was broadcasting it, so forgive me, but the viewing figures were so exceptionally good, TV bosses realised, hang on, we're wasting this just streaming it. So they put it on terrestrial TV. Can you imagine that in this country? On terrestrial TV, every night, the women's um, 100 or the yeah, women's we, 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 NatWest Blast or the women's Kia. We've this though, Johnny. We, we, we can't compare our competitions to Australia and India. We're never going to be able to have a competition like that. We're never, ever going to be able to have it. It's not number one sport over here. Football is massive in this country and it will always be the number numero uno sport. So what we have to do is make the best out of it that we can possibly do. And the women's game shouldn't have one competition taken away from them and give them a totally different one. They should still carry on playing both competitions. Now, the ladies have had success in T20 cricket. Why take it away from them and give them 100-ball cricket? Well, I, I don't know the answer to that because I think it's confused. Um, and I think the last thing you want to do when you when you launch a new competition in the manner that the women did with the, the uh, or the ECB did with the Women's Super League is can it after three or four years? 
that that doesn't make any sense to me. Chopping and changing, I think it's one of the problems you have with the IPL. You know, the IPL has been going on for 10 years. Look how many teams have been and gone. You know, you need to have a consistency to your approach. Um, and of course, if, you know, the women's are, women are playing the World T20 in November in the West Indies. Now, what's the point in playing a World T20 every four years or so if you don't play 2020 in your own country? That's what I'm saying. So you've got to play both forms. But I'm all for um, the ladies to be playing the 100 ball, uh, same as the men, and trying to attract uh, mixed audiences to the game. But they all should still, at some point, the season's a long season, there should also still be time to have the Kia Super League as well, which I think has been a success uh, for ladies in this country and it's made them better players and it's made them uh, other countries for their uh, T20 leagues want our own players and as I said that this IPL uh, ladies competition two of the English girls are in it Daniel Wyatt and Daniel uh, Azel so two, two of our girls are going to be going over there for that one-off game and I'm sure if there was a, an IPL for women all our players would get taken up because they're the best in the business at it. Absolutely. It's um, a point you made a, a few moments ago, though, uh, saying that cricket isn't the number one sports in this country, football is, and, and you're absolutely right in that regard. But, you know, in Australia, the AFL is king in the same way that uh, Premier League football and Football League uh, EFL is in the UK. The Big Bash has been so successful, it's actually encroaching on EFL season. You know, when something works, there is room for uh, AFL and Big Bash cricket in Australia. And I just wonder, you know, you do have a cricket season now being played out in August, which is when the Premier League starts anyway. So maybe we need to just, if we get it right, maybe we can just have more faith in the tournament itself. And, And if it is accessible, then maybe we do need to back the sport. Well, we'll have, we'll have to wait. We're not going to know, are we, until uh, 2020. I just think there's still a bit of planning. Uh, we're still a couple of years away. And whatever we decide, whatever's changed between now and this year 2020, we have to get it right. Whether it be the 100 ball and the format we're going to follow, how we're going to get to the 100 is the biggest question mark on, on everyone's lips. I don't even think the ECB 100% know which way they're going to go yet but we have to remember women's cricket is growing and growing and growing we've seen it in other countries the big women's big bash you talked about we've seen it now the IPL eventually within three years they're saying they're going to have their own tournament now in this country why do we take away one competition and give them a totally different one we've got to keep both uh, we're going to be talking about the hundreds, uh, a defence of Colin Graves, um, and uh, much, much more on Talksport Two. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talksport Two. I don't know Colin Graves as well as you, Goffey. I don't know him at all, but I'm hoping he has thick skin. And I imagine that, like a lot of Yorkshiremen, he does. But he would need all of that. He'd need a hide the size of Ian Abrahams, the moose, 
uh, if he wasn't to be affected by a barrage of criticism over the last week, and it's uh, been continuing for quite some time, over his comments in an interview with Simon Mann last week and Michael Atherton as well, uh, when he uh, dismissed cricket's popularity within the younger generation, said something needs to be done and his plans for the 100 are what is going to turn around the fortunes of the game. Uh, You've written an article for the Yorkshire Post this week defending uh, a lot of what he had to say. Let's sift through some of the... uh, Well, on print don't look like great, great quotes... Uh, but let's sift through and actually look at what he's saying, because I actually have got a lot of time for the point he's making. And that is this. We need to address the fact that kids aren't playing cricket. And the ECB, rightly or wrongly, have designed the competition known as the 100 as a vehicle to try and engage with younger sports fans. And that surely cannot be argued with. What Colin um, said, I thought, um, when people, if you really, really take it to bit, and I thought the the media jumped on something he said about uh, kids don't want to play cricket. Um, Mm. It's not their favourite sport. You only have to do the research and um, cricket, but it's something like 2% of people in this country, school kids, favourite sport. It doesn't do much working out, does it? Yeah, exactly. Something needs to be done. Of course it does. Now, All-Stars... The All-Stars initiative is obviously a fantastic thing, and they picked up on that. Oh, well, he's forgotten that. They've got 50,000 people doing All-Stars, signed up to All-Stars. Getting kids involved in cricket in the first place is not an issue. Because most in the summer, a lot of kids do play it, mm. 8 to 11. A lot of the local village cricket clubs, you know, people talk about cricket's dead in, in the villages. Every village is still thriving. They do their own stuff with, with their own little coaching clinics. Why do you think they keep going on year after season where kids go and join and, and they go and play cricket? I used to do it back at Monk Breton Cricket Club on a, a Friday night many, 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 many moons ago. But it's still pretty strong. The issue we have is from 8 to 11, it's fantastic. No issue whatsoever. A kid's participation, whether it be at the local village club, whether it be um, at the All-Stars initiative where they get the coaching classes thrown in for 40 quid, a backpack with a name on it, which the kids love, obviously. Chance to shine, who are doing so much things in the inner city schools because that's one of the problem areas we do uh, suffer with kids uh, participation, the the Asian community and girls and, and Chance to Shine have got 45% of their participants are female which is fantastic and the women's game is growing. Now the problem we have and what he was trying to say is we're losing a lot to cricket from those years of 11 to 14 to 15 to 16. That's where we got the biggest drop off. That's where we should be addressing. Uh also, people don't like change, and unfortunately for uh, for Colin, he's he has made some comments which, on the face of it, a, a more politically savvy person might uh, have played the game, uh, played the media a little better, um, you know, a Tom Harrison type possibly. But you know, this is a this is a guy that's uh, that's been there and done it in the world of business, and I suppose he's just taken that same kind of like. Uh, into forgettability to uh, to cricket. He's putting bending bent. He's put some noses out of uh, shape, that's for sure. But I, I just can't escape from the fact that when you look at the average age of people who go to see NatWest Blast cricket, it's it's the wrong side of thirty. It's the wrong side of forty. When you sit at county cricket, I look around and I think ninety percent of you lot won't be here in twenty years. Something needs to be done, and people don't like it. Um, it's just whether. 
he is going to be given the time mm. to see this out because there there does seem to be a groundswell of opinion that maybe he's gone too far. I don't think he's gone too far. I think what's happening is, is but uh, it's like anything in life. You have competitors, you have people that want your job, and I think he's found that some of the chairmen uh, want want his job, and um, they've kind of whatever he says, they'll go against it. As I've said many times on here, massive fan of the franchise thing. I think no matter how many people go against it, they don't like what I say, that is going to be the future. Mm. Just accept it, folks. It's happening. It's happening because the way cricket is going and the drop-off we have between 11 and 16 of cricket, at some point, and those members, those loyal members who love the game and are traditionalists and the age you've just mentioned, eventually are not going to be here anymore. Where's the next audience going to come from? Because now we've got uh, T20 cricket and we've got um, 50 over cricket, which I think is still pretty popular. Now, this new competition has to be different. We cannot compete with the IPL. We cannot compete with a big bash. Cricket in Australia and India is their biggest sport. It's their biggest sport and popular, and no matter what they do, it will, they will get an audience. In England, we've already got a number of different, the county championship, which has been around for donkey's years. And it's popular amongst traditionalists. Mm. we got this T20 cricket competition, which I think is a good competition. It's a successful competition. We sell it out. Yorkshire versus Lancashire, Middlesex versus Surrey. These sort of games we sell out. It's not an issue. So if we're going to have a new competition, we have to do something different. And this is what the underball, this is why it's grown on me. First of all, I thought, wow, hang on a minute. Some of the things they were spouting out, coming out with, totally shocked me. And they didn't really have, they'd not really thought about what they were going to come out with into the media. And that's why they've took a lot of criticism. But actually sit down and think about it. You've got the 100 balls, which is a great idea. The countdown and everything about it, we've just got to find a way to get to the 100 balls. And that's the next challenge. See, I knew you'd come around to my way of thinking from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, let's hear from uh, England's number four, David Milan. Uh, he says we need to look at 100-ball cricket with open minds. We're all sort of a bit sceptical about it. I think we don't really know what's, what's happening. We haven't been given enough information about it. It's a great initiative that we have a franchise system now, that we are going to have know stronger and more competitive cricket i think if everyone's open-minded about it and everyone approaches it in the way that they want it to be successful from a playing point of view i'm sure people will still come and watch it and i think that's the key for it is is, is if people watch it it's going to be successful and if they don't i think you know they're gonna to have to go back to the drawing board uh, well i tell you what if it isn't successful some heads will roll um something <laughs> that won't be rolling is a coin um, the coin toss. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you saw this story. I'm not sure you did. Um, the coin toss might be taken out of the equation. Uh, the Ashes next year uh, and cricket that is going to be played as part of this new Test Championship will not have a coin toss in the traditional sense. Uh, it will be replaced with the overseas team deciding what they want to do. Uh, I've always been a little bit, well, like a heads or tails, I suppose. I've been split down the middle on this because I think... The, the coin toss is such an exciting um, part of the build-up to a game of cricket because it's so important, because it's 
you're gambling with your team selection uh, because you don't know whether you're going to watch your team bat or bowl. There's so much drama associated with it. I would be sad to see that go. But at the end of a series, when I look back and I see that the winning side has more often than not won more tosses than the uh, losing side, I feel that maybe it is a little bit stunted and maybe it is a bit, uh, it hands too much of an unfair advantage. Um, I'm a a little bit torn on this one, Goffey. Um, I think what they want to do is obviously stop the doctoring of pitches, don't they? They, they want to give the uh, touring team a better chance of winning away from home because what we're seeing is um, home sides benefiting from home conditions and winning the game. But <laughs> you should have that. That's the idea of play, playing home. You should have some kind of advantage. It should be harder to win away from home than it is at home. 141 years the toss of the coin's been going. And now we, we are going to debate it at the end of this month. It's going to be brilliant. But let me just tell you, you might not remember this, Johnny. England won the toss four times in the, the Ashes mm. this winter. Guess yeah, what? True. They lost each of those tests. True, true. Australia in Sri Lanka, they won the toss as well in those games. You know what I mean? Yeah, so no, it, it is true. The better team... You're having the choice. It doesn't matter. You win the toss. It doesn't mean you win the game. The better team often wins the match, doesn't it? And actually, the statistics will show you that uh, the toss isn't as important as uh, as many of us make it out to be. But there is another element to this. Um, just imagine the scene, right, Goffey? Ashes 2019. Uh, it's 2 all. No, no, it's 2-1 going into the last test match. Australia winning. 2-1 going to the Oval. In the last test match, a draw enough for Australia to win the Ashes in England for the first time since you were playing, 2001. Okay, 18 years previously. They know in advance what the situation is going to be regarding the toss. So because of that, they absolutely ram their team. Instead of going in with the formula that has seen them to a 2-1 win, three fast bowlers, a spinner, and Mitchell Marsh bowling uh, the quota of uh, fourth seamer uh, deliveries, they go in with just two frontline fast men, two all-rounders. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, 
then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. And they pack their team. They're not going into that match well, that to win matter. it. Hang on a minute, that, but that won't matter. So you just prepare a green pitch um, and they're going to be short because they're not going to have the bowlers. You're, you're trying to make out that the batsmen win the games. It's the bowlers that win the match. They don't want to win the game. No, they want to draw yeah, the game. Well, of course they do. But that, don't you think that's a negative attitude going into the game? Yeah, because they don't going care. With, no, no, mate, no, think about this for a moment, what you're saying. They go in with two bowlers and the pitch is green. It's going to be green for five days. It's not going to change. Well, it's not often green it's not, at the Oval. It's not going to, but don't you think that's what they prepare in that situation? So it doesn't matter who wins the toss. It's still, you've seen in county cricket, we're doing it in county cricket now. There's still 20-odd wickets falling the first day on most games because of what the pitchers that we're actually preparing to get results. So it can be done at the Oval. I, I think that teams would get wise to the new tactics and they'd start picking their teams accordingly. Instead of going into a test match, trying to cover all bases, you'd essentially be gearing your team up to bat first, knowing you're definitely going to bat first. Or gearing your team up to bowling first, knowing you're going to be bowling first. I think what it'll do is, what it'll do is make pitchers ridiculously flat. Because if people talk, go to um, Sri Lanka yeah. and they go to India and you know... Batting first, you have to bat first when you go there, right? Yeah. To, good chance of winning the game. So what do you think they're going to do over there now? They're just going to prepare the flattest pitches um, they possibly can. Because if India, uh, England are playing in Mumbai, um, they're going to know England are going to bat first. So India are not going to risk losing that game by preparing a Bunsen when they're going to have to bat last on it. I tell you what, Goffey, is there another sport in... The, the history of this planet, which is still 150-odd years, 200 years on, still uh, trying to tinker with the format. And I say that as a positive thing, by the way. Well, it is a positive thing. It's yeah. an absolute brilliant thing about our sport that still we're trying to uh, make it even better uh, than we know it is already. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. No doubt for me, Goffey, what the highlight of the last seven days has been cricket-wise. Uh, it didn't get off to the, uh, to the best of starts, but I suppose it was fitting in a way. A washout, day one, uh, Ireland on debut in the Test Arena against Pakistan. But what followed from that point onwards was just Test cricket, I suppose, and it's a sprawling best. Uh, of all the words written about uh, what turned out to be 
wonderful in an individual uh, perspective for our, for our next guest. Uh, maybe not the result, uh, well, definitely not the result he wanted. But uh, this uh, paragraph from Andy Bull in The Guardian leapt out at me. And it's uh, talking about Kevin and Niall O'Brien as boys playing cricket. Uh, and they used to pretend to be Australia and England. So it was the Ashes, OK? The O'Brien's back garden. Who was Australia? Well, OK. <laughs> so during the summer... They would stage long one-on-one test matches, each always taking the same part. Back then, Niall was a batsman whose hero, Steve Waugh. Wow. So he'd be Australia. Kevin, a bowler. Do you know who he idolised? What, in the 90s? Darren Goff. (laughs) So Kevin would be England. Toughest cricket I ever played, uh, he said. Honestly, I never believed Ireland would ever play test cricket, not in my career. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because now we're speaking to a man who's not only played test cricket, but he scored a century on debut as well. Uh, Kevin O'Brien, thanks for joining us on Darren Goff's Cricket Week. Uh, I mean, it's not difficult to know where to start. Uh, A century on debut. Unlike Bangalore, and I know a lot of people have been talking about that, uh, it wasn't in a winning uh, match, but uh, plenty of uh, credit and plenty of praise um, and plenty of pride must be from uh, what you and the boys achieved against Pakistan last week. Yeah, absolutely massive. You know, um, you know, to, to, first of all, to play Test cricket, to get the honour to play Test cricket, um, you know, it's that's that's great in itself. Um, you know, but then to show the fight and character that we did when we were seven for four to, to post a a half decent score I suppose from that position um, in the first innings to kind of get ourselves slightly back in the game and then to go and, and uh, push Pakistan all the way you know taking five wickets in the second innings and you know if we had a hell of a chance maybe throughout the game we could have been looking at a slightly different result but yeah certainly a very proud day for me as an individual um, and certainly you know the 15 players that were involved and the family and friends that were there to watch and um, you know it's it just shows how far cricket's come in Ireland over the last 10 years and, and hopefully um, it's going to go even further in the next 10. To be fair, uh, Kevin, do you know something with Irish cricket? I'm so pleased uh, they got test status. Um, I think they should be in every tournament. I'm a big believer in that. I'm quite outspoken on it. You've got some fantastic cricketers, huge experience. It'll be interesting, Aaron. I think it's the right timing because you've got a lot of guys now who are on the wrong side of 30 and you need to kind of encourage the next generation to come through now. And getting test status at this point is the right time. Yeah, it's... it's to be to be honest, it's probably come maybe a couple of years mm. too late for some of us. Um, you know, obviously we'll still give it a crack and play as long as we can. But you know, it would have been great to, you know, to play Test cricket even four or five years ago. You know, Trent Johnson would have been still around. You know, what a competitor he was. John Mooney, Alex Cusick. You know, great names of Irish cricket in the in the recent past. Um, and obviously the the guys still playing would have been slightly younger as well. So, well, listen, that's that was against out of our hands I suppose but all we can do is as a team and, and as individuals is continue to um, try and get better and, and hopefully when you know when we when we leave the game that there's enough good young cricketers playing in Ireland that can make the step up um, that's obviously a big challenge for Cricket Ireland you know the, the coaches and everyone involved 
When you, when you look at uh, back on your career, Kevin, and you look at some of the uh, well, the major highlights really. Obviously, there's that win against Pakistan in I think it was 2007. You got the World Cup uh, hundred where you smashed England to all parts. Um, there was that, and then there was the Test debut and getting hundred on debut. Which was the greatest moment for you out of those three? <laughs> Um, Alison, they're all you know they're all exceptionally um, big moments for me and, and also for Irish cricket as well. But you know, number one will still be the Bangalore innings. Um, you know, in the World Cup in India, you know, the position we were in against England and to go on and win the game, you know, it's it, it means a lot and it means so much to me. Um, obviously, the, the innings last week is huge. Um, you know, from from me, from my personal point as well, and and also cricket in Ireland as well. So. You know, but I think 2007 was the start of was the start of cricket. Um, you know, Irish cricket being known around the world. You know, 2011 was was the kind of the moment where we we um, showed the world that that 2007 wasn't a fluke. Um, and now this is this is a new chapter of, of cricket in Ireland and, and cricket in um, you know hopefully going forward in Ireland can can grow from the last 10 days or so um, and push on even further. Kevin, you made your ODI debut back in 2006, your T20 debut in 2008. Uh, You've played 125 ODIs, I think, the most ever by a debutant in Test cricket. Did you learn anything in the the four possible days, but over the course of that five-day game? Uh, Yeah, you you always learn. Um, You know, I think once you stop learning from the game, I think it's probably time to hang up your um, hang up your boots. Um, but you know, well, I suppose for me, from the last week or so, it's a very pleasing aspect that you know I can, can I can play the the, the longer form of the game successfully. I, I can adapt my own game situation to you know to play more controlled innings. Um, you know, I always knew I could do it, but to do it on on a, such a big stage is 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 even more pleasing as well. What next for Ireland? Have you got a bit of break now? Uh, and I think you play. Do you play England this year, or is it, I think it's Scotland, isn't it? Scotland play uh, England. So what's next for Irish cricket? Yeah, so we got a couple of weeks now when we go straight into the um, regional stuff here in Ireland, the T20 format, um, and then we we have a triangular tournament over in Holland with ourselves, Holland and Scotland uh, T20s. And then we play India at the end of uh, June, 27th and 29th of June in Dublin. So oh. we're, we're all gearing up towards the T20 format now. And then later on in the summer, we've got a, Afghanistan are coming over to Ireland for three ODIs and three T20s. So it's all white ball focus for me from the national team now, point of view, going, going for the next five or six months. Um, so hopefully we can get, get another test soon enough. Um, and if and when we do, we'll be raring to go. Kevin O'Brien, uh, test cricketer for Ireland uh, man of the match 100% record for, for centuries in a test match played and player of the match as well uh, thanks so much for joining us on the show no worries thank you and, and, and Kevin work on those Yorkers mate you might have been me in the backyard but you've got to develop that Yorker pal <laughs> will do <it> too. <laughs> you know what Goffey I've had a look at the uh, so in cricket we know it's um, the, the schedule is announced five year, five or six years beforehand so all the boards can essentially get the TV deals and, and get the money that they need to safeguard their future, right? Now, it's called the FTP, uh, Future Tours Programme, um, and the current one is up at the end of this year. 
right? But I've seen a sneak peek. Well, actually, no, it goes up to the World Cup and to uh, 2019. I've had a sneak peek at the uh, 2019 to 2024 FTP, and I know who Ireland are playing next year. Well, it's England, isn't it? It's got to no, be. it's Australia. Wow! Before the Ashes, right after the World wow. Cup, which means Ireland are going to play Australia in Steve Smith and David Warner's first game back for Australia. Well, if they get picked. If they get picked. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Test of time on Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Big shout. And he's given in. So Darren Goff gets a very important wicket indeed. The left-handed side Anwar goes in the Yorkshire Paceman's third over. This time he's there. Hasn't been the most beautiful century you'll ever see, but uh, another vital one for England. Allows himself just the semblance of a little smile there, Michael Atherton. That's through, that's an inside edge. This could be it. Already, Nasser Hussein is celebrating. England have won this third test match at Karachi. Pakistan's unbeaten record goes up in smoke. Well, I tell you what, Goffey, 18 years on, that still brings a smile to my face. I'm sure it does uh, you too. Uh, You know, in recent years, England have uh, have been flush with overseas successes, but... uh, that victory back in 2000 um, was truly something special. You must have uh, pretty amazing memories. Do you know something? Um, I get asked this question a lot. Uh, some of my favourite moments playing for England. Uh, there was a game in Melbourne in uh, 97 when we, we were rubbish, basically. That's what we have being told every single day in the press. And we wouldn't uh, that test when they needed 140 to win. That was a great moment. But the best tour I ever went on, was to Pakistan and Sri Lanka, 2000-2001. Absolutely wonderful tour from friendships, uh, togetherness, uh, knowing we were limited in what we were going to do away from the hotel um, to our on-pitch performances. We just got it spot on all winter. It was brilliant. Well, this is going to be a a regular feature on the show moving forward. We're going to take a test or a series from the past uh, that you were involved in and uh, bring on one of your your teammates who was there alongside you just to dip into uh, the series and relive a couple of the tales. And I'm delighted to say that uh, joining us this week uh, is Marcus Triscothic, who, uh, well, Marcus, thanks for joining us. Uh, But Goffey says it was his favourite ever tour. It was actually your first tour for the England uh, first team um, and what a, what a tour it ended up being. Yeah, amazing, really. Really giving me sort of my, the taste I needed really for international cricket. I only started in the summer before back against um, the West Indies, but um, that was just real. The, the, the highlight of touring, it was absolutely fantastic trip, absolutely superb. It's a very unique unique place, Pakistan. You, you, when we went there, we did some, some great places to go and see and see something different. Um, but as Goffey said, you just get um, cocooned in your in your hotel room for for a number of weeks and and you can't really do a great deal. Do you know what makes me laugh, uh, Tress, about that that tour? Is but we all had to sign. I remember turning up at the first hotel in Lahore, and we all had to sign a form to say we we're alcoholics so we could yeah, get a drink. 
so we could get a yeah. drink after 10 o'clock in our room. I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. And we were lucky in those days because we were, we were sponsored, weren't we, by Carlsberg, um, Carlsberg Tetley's. And um, they kindly sent us something for the team room, didn't they, to keep us occupied on evenings. But how good was it, Trez, just to be all... Like I said, when you go to Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, wonderful countries... But you're out there, aren't you, playing golf and we're all in different little groups doing things. But when you go to Pakistan, especially, you're together, aren't you? And you, the camaraderie yeah. is absolutely superb. Yeah, you don't have a lot of choice, do you? Because mm. because of the security problems outside the hotel, you've got to be a little bit careful where you go. Um, you do build your own sort of rapport within the within the hotels because you, you spend morning, noon and night together. There's really much time, rarely much time that goes past that you're not. Um, doing something in the team room or on, you know, someone else's room in PlayStation or whatever there may be. But um, it was just quite unique. I know obviously the lads don't get the opportunity to go to places like that anymore. And it's a shame a little bit because the experience you get from, from traveling to that part of the world or those mm. parts of the world um, is different. You're absolutely right. It's very different to go into an Australia or a New Zealand or something like that, but equally special. Trez, what I can remember, I'm sure you were part of the PlayStation group. I, 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 I wasn't into it. Um, I was more into just being an idiot. But I think you were part of the PlayStation group, weren't you? FIFA. It was FIFA, wasn't you? You used to yeah, play generally. there. Well, generally. You? Yeah. Was it Gylo? Gylo. Thorpey was in there. Thorpey. Uh, That's it. Born. Yeah, there was quite a number of guys who would obviously be quite heavily involved in, in what was doing. You just got to try and pass the time. Otherwise, you just sit there doing absolutely nothing. So, <laughs> and you just... Uh, you just got to try and invent things that you know is going to take up your day, along with going to the gym and, and sleeping in as late as you can. Uh, Marcus, last week, uh, Goffey and I were talking about this test match, and uh, Goffey was racking his brains. We were talking about the bowling lineup for that series, and we were racking our brains. Who was first change in that yeah. first innings? And we looked yeah. at the scorecard, or rather I did, and I thought my eyes were deceiving me, but... There it is, Marcus Driscothic, coming in, and not, not only on. that, you took a wicket. I oh, know, absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what NASA was thinking. I, I must have bowled a bit in the nets leading up to the game, and it must have been swinging around a little bit. So he took a bit of a gamble, and I burgled a wicket, which is quite amazing, really. So um, to think well, that you, know, you shall we hear that, it? So. Go shall on, we then. hear it? Come on! Big shout, and he's given in. So Darren Goff gets a very important wicket indeed. The left-handed side Anwar goes in the Yorkshire placement's third over. Well, that is the softest whistle. As I say that Marcus Triscothic, the experiment has come to an end. I'm not sure that will be greeted with too much enthusiasm in the Pakistani dressing room. They'll go to the four. Through extra cover. And Ainsman Harat goes to his fourth century of this calendar year. And he likes this ground. So there we are. It's nil-nil after two tests, this being the third and final test match. Um, and uh, Inzaman Mohawk and Mohamed Youssef, um, although I'm not sure his name was Mohamed Youssef at the time, actually, um, both putting on centuries. And it looking like it's, it, it was going to follow a well-worn path in Pakistan with the attritional pitches. But uh, Goffey with the first wicket. Triscothic, your only test wicket. But yeah. uh, what, what else do you remember from that first, uh, first day's play? 
Uh, a hard first day, as you can imagine. I remember bowling more than just that first spell. I bowled a second spell, I think, mid sort of mid afternoon, and I had Inzerman dead LBW, which wouldn't be was given. I was gutted, but you know it didn't matter because it, it was just an interesting day. Quite as you say, traditional cricket as you get out in that part of the world, but um, very different. I, I, I sort of regret sort of bowling those volume of overs because it's sort of payback time nowadays. Do you know something, Trez? Um, one player who doesn't really get enough credit uh, during his England career, he, gets, he, he used to get a lot of stick, but it was the making of Ashley Giles that trip, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, he was it absolutely was. superb in Karachi. In fact, that whole tour, he was superb. But in Karachi, it all come together for him. He got four for Dini in that first innings. And the way we stuck together, because Inzaman and Mohamed uh, Yusuf, as it, as it was then, were absolutely superb. It was a flat pitch. But the way we come back on the second day to dismiss them for 405, Jilo was superb. Yeah, well, he threatened the whole trip, wasn't it? But not yep. just with his, with his bowling, he was also with his batting as well. Lower order runs that he got along with sort of Craig White in that sort of series was superb. But, and Darren Goff. You know, yeah, of course, Goff. I don't want to forget you, of course not, but... <laughs> Gilo, Gilo sort of that was where he sort of really invented the style of bowling over the wicket, didn't he? And I know he mm-hmm. came in for a lot of criticism um, as time went on, but um, the, the, he, because he bowled it slightly closer to the stumps than most people, he used the rough and utilised that as much as he could. And that was really sort of um, part and parcel of him going forward from there on in because that became his style of bowling all the way through. I tell, I tell you what, guys, I was watching the highlights from this match and you're absolutely right. I was going to uh, raise it myself. It's worth looking back at some of the dismissals that Ashley Giles actually conjured up. There was some uh, extravagant turn that uh, he managed to extract from the pitch. And, and as you say, as we listen to uh, what happened on day two, it was, uh, it was Giles that really meant that uh, Pakistan didn't get that 500-600 uh, score, which would have made a result going England's way almost impossible. Yeah! Oh, well taken. That is an extraordinary catch from Ashley Giles. First ball of his spell, it was uh, slightly overpitched, and it's to his wrong hand too. Ashley Giles, a left-hander, he's stooped with his right hand. That's the moment of inspiration that England have been seeking. Just a little bit of luck. Oh, a bowls. Beautifully bowled from Ashley Giles. It's a big misjudgment from uh, Shia Afridi. That's the perfect delivery with which to wrap up the Pakistan innings. Quick Yorker, 85 miles an hour, perfectly positioned, perfectly bowled. Vakar Yunus, the last man out for Pakistan. So there it is. And now it's over to England to have a bat. Um, I mean, Marcus, I mean, just give us an idea of the kind of conditions that it, it demands of a batsman, um, well, and a bowler, I suppose, to, uh, to go out there and just grind out the kind of runs that, uh, that the team needed to do. Yeah, tricky, as you can imagine. That we're quite alien to those sort of conditions, just going out there and the ball going to, you know, you're going to be facing bowlers that are spinning it a lot. The ball potentially might reverse after sort of 20, 30, 40 overs. But from what I remember, it remained actually a pretty good pitch for a, for a couple of days. Athers was the main man. I think he got 120 or so in the first innings and just batted forever, it seemed like. Because as we talked about already, the attritional style of cricket that you have to play in that part of the world. But um, just quite demanding. You, you know, the, the, the scoring rate won't move a great deal, but you a lot of pressure on from people around the bat. The spinners are creating the noise as much as they can do. But uh, I can't remember exactly how many we got in the first innings, but I know it was something pretty close to what they got. 
I'll tell you, when I remember about it, um, I, I'm actually looking at the scorecard here, Trez, and um, it, it's, it's interesting indeed because when you look at their side, we all know how good they were going to be in Karachi. I think they were unbeaten, weren't they? England had never yeah. won, won there. And we looked at their team when we turned up there. We knew it was going to turn. They picked two seamers and they picked yeah. three, three mystery wrist spinners, which they had Afridi, Sakhalin Mushtaq, who was superb, by the way. They won the on that tour. Um, he yeah. was very difficult to play, especially for those lower order batsmen. And Danish Canaria, remember him? Yeah. I mean, they had three really good spinners in their lineup, and um, they would have backed themselves to beat us quite comfortably because we never really, our reputation against wrist spinners was never the best, was it? <laughs> No, no, and still isn't, is it, nowadays, even now going into it. But we had a sort of golden period a little bit there with under Duncan Fletcher where we sort of designed our own way of playing spin and had results in, as you say, Pakistan and then Sri Lanka after Christmas that year. Um, but it was, yeah, it was it was just different. Was it? You're, not, you're not used to that. We're used to balls that maybe swing a little bit more, but not so much of it spinning around. And when you've got three quality spinners like they had at that time, well, fair enough, Afridi was probably more of an all-rounder at that point. Um, and his bowling really sort of came together afterwards, but still a very tricky um, sort of potential what we had to try and face for three or four days. Trez, just quickly, let me just ex- just explain to people what Duncan Fletcher had is doing against the spinners on the outfield, because that made a big difference, especially for someone like me who were just mm. used to going in and wanting to sweep every time, but he got us playing against the spinners, didn't he? Yeah, well, there's always loads of bowlers around, wasn't there? Little kids mm. who were doing, like ball boys and stuff like that, they were always there, and it was something you'd sort of picked up that a lot of their guys did would face a lot of their boys sort of bowling on the side of the on the side of the outfield because the the grass is a little bit different than what you get over here. It's a lot coarser um, and a lot spongier, so you had to try and design and, and work out a little another way of playing. But it just also gave you more more time of facing bowlers, didn't it? I know they weren't necessarily bowling at, at full pelt, but it definitely helped you sort of learning and sort of sort of use the spin and use the bounce um, and get a better way of trying to play the game. So, 405 all-out Pakistan in first inning. Centuries for Inzamam and Mohamed Youssef. And in England, uh, with Atherton leading from the front, 125 and a 50 for Hussain. But to be honest, uh, there were uh, performances all the way down the list, meaning that England all-out for 388. Game on. Almost a one-innings match. And we're going to find out what happened very shortly. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Test of time on Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. This time he's there. Hasn't been the most beautiful century you'll ever see, but uh, another vital one for England. Allows himself just the semblance of a little smile there, Michael Atherton. What a catch. That's a splendid catch, absolutely brilliant. Ball's gone beyond him, he stops dead. What a catch, Graham thought. Bowled him out. Out of the rough, it's turned dramatically. Inzerman was looking to leave the ball, and he's got bowled out. And once again, Ashley Giles picks up the wicket of Inzerman or Hack. You're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week. Um, we are uh, looking back at Pakistan in Karachi, England uh, winning the match uh, back in 2000. We're halfway through uh, the test and we just heard a, a couple of the uh, the early wickets 
Um, a brilliant catch on the boundary. Ball dropping over his shoulder for uh, uh, Graham Thorpe. Ashley Giles taking two. Goffey uh, with the wicket of Imran Nazir. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that uh, Marcus Triscothic, who was uh, alongside Goffey in the team, and actually all three test matches, if I'm r- right uh, in saying, featured exactly the same 11 players. But what stage was it, uh, Marcus, that, uh, that you and Goffey had a little look to each other and thought, hang on a minute, we could actually win this? Ah, jeepers. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember really at what point it was, but I think probably once we realised we only had a certain target that we had to try and chase. The, the, the envious or the, the dangerous time of what was going to be was the the light was obviously the crucial part, but could we get the volume around in in quick enough time? They knew the overrate was going to be slow. They were going to drag everything down, but I don't know whether we realised at any point when we were bowling and bowling them out in that third innings that we were going to try and win the game, but I think once we saw the total, that was probably the pivotal moment. We realised we could have a good chance. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's... Um, the, the amazing thing about that tour, I don't think we ever thought we were going to win the series. I think if we'd have come out of it with a draw, we'd have been absolutely over the moon. Yeah, uh, we got to Pakistan. Everybody kept telling us how hard it was going to be. It was going to be against it. They got three spinners in the side. Wakai Yunus bowling reverse swing. Yes, he was towards the end of his career, but they got players in those conditions that... We're going to be hard to bowl at. And Inzaman proved it throughout the series. Uh, Mohamed Yusuf proved it throughout the series. They were great players. Um, and I don't think we ever thought we were going to win. And then suddenly we bowled them out for a total for 158, it was, in the in the third, their second innings. And it was like, what? Where did that come from? We actually have got a chance of winning here. And I think same as Trez there. We, we suddenly, we still knew it was going to be difficult because of their spinners... And the light, we knew it was going to be a problem over there. But I don't think we ever thought we were going to win until probably that last, when we hit the winning runs. It was literally that, it was literally a tour like that. Um, I'll tell you what, what, guys, um, I was actually working, uh, before I got into this industry, actually, uh, and the the time difference meant that it was coming to about midday UK time. And me and my mate at work, we were following it on Quick Info or, or something. We dashed off to the pub. We just made our excuses and left. And we ran to the pub where there was a, a crowd forming, watching as England uh, somehow were in with a chance of winning the series. And uh, who better to open the, uh, open the run scoring than, than you, Marcus? This was... Uh, this was uh, Right up your street, I suppose. Just get get on with it. Well, absolutely. You just got to go out there and smack it as much as you can do. You know, I sort of made my way into the team by playing one-day cricket and, and obviously getting an opportunity into the test matches. But um, you, you had a license because there was only a certain amount of overs to go and we knew the time was against us. But um, potential being bowled out, you know, all 10 wickets were probably quite slim. So we had a, a good crack that we knew that we could just tee it up and have a good go. So we, I think we got off to an okay start, but then started losing a few wickets after that. But again, it was always going to be tricky. Light was, light was our danger more than anything else because it was closing in probably sort of four o'clock in the afternoon and it was getting quite gloomy, but we managed to hold on, luckily. I think the blessing was, and this is no disrespect because Adders was a great player and it was a great under score in the first, but I tell you what, the blessing was probably Adders getting out. <laughs> because we had we had players like Trez, Alex Stewart, Graham Thorpe, Graham Mick, Nasser, Chalky, who all played natural game was to be aggressive. But we had others there, yeah, to anchor. But if he took too much of the strike, he was never great at scoring against the spin. 
we thought it might be an issue. And like I said, right till the end, I thought, let's not get bowled out here and spoil an hard tour. Because it had been an hard tour for everyone. <laughs> and 40 overs, we only had 40 overs-ish uh, to knock them off. And, and somehow we did it. I mean, I still can't get over it now. Um, pitch black. Uh, the dressing room scenes, we were all nervous watching. And it just kept getting darker and darker and darker. Um, and we used to have, on that tour, uh, we copied the Aussies a little bit because we had the Who Let the Dogs Out tour, wasn't it? We all had the... You had to get welcomed uh, into the dog party. And um, it was a woo It was a Fletcher thing. But we, we fight like dogs and everybody gradually got welcomed into it. And by the end of the tour, everybody was on board. And that's what I'm saying about team spirit. It was brilliant all, all the way through right to the last day. And what about the celebrations afterwards? Uh, did you uh, have to get your uh, alcoholics uh, cards out just to get a drink to celebrate? That was, that was my most pivotal moment of the trip was the celebration immediately afterwards in the changing room because there was, as you can imagine, there's no alcohol around anywhere to be seen. So we were just celebrating with bottles of lemonade, throwing yeah. them everywhere, <laughs> shoving them everywhere all over everybody. And chicken tikka. <laughs> yeah, soft drinks galore there was. It was just a very, very what, funny moment. What I can remember, though, I'm sure we flew straight home, didn't we? Did we fly uh, home that night or the early the next morning? Yeah, yeah one of the two. because if you remember, we all did the uh, whistle, Escape to Victory, didn't we? The whistling. That's right, yeah. We did yeah. a whistle on as we were taking off from uh, Karachi <laughs> Airport. I'll never forget <laughs> it. We all started whistling, and it was just brilliant. We just carried it on. Like I say, it was our first drink uh, we'd had, really, because like I say, we'd had... Soft drinks in the dressing room. We respect um, their religion and everything that goes with it. I'm sure we went straight back to the hotel. Our bags were packed and we went straight to the airport after a shower and we took off that night. I'll, I'll never forget yeah. it. And it was a great yeah. thing. Like I say, we were on the air, aeroplane, first glass of wine, champagne, and poof, we were off. Yeah, absolutely. Good to get out, wasn't it? Good to get home because I think it was quite close to Christmas before we sort of got back home that sort of time of year, so... Just what you needed, really. Brilliant stuff. Well, look, Marcus, really appreciate your time and joining us uh, for these uh, these uh, last couple of sections on the show. Uh, we'll let you go now, and let's just hear those winning moments uh, from that famous Test match, uh, a test that certainly stands up to time. It was England beating Pakistan in Karachi back in the year 2000. Well, that's a magnificent way for Trescothic to open his account. Plus gone away, and that's going to go all the way to the boundary. Took a chance, but it's come off. Dressing room enjoyed that one. I'm sure Graham Hick did. It's through the offside. And the fielders have not seen it. Moin Khan has a point. His fielders just cannot pick up that ball. There are two men in the deep, one at cover, one at long off. Neither of them saw it until the ball was virtually at the boundary. That's through, that's an inside edge, this could be it. Already, Nasser Hussein is celebrating. England have won this third test match at Karachi. Pakistan's unbeaten record goes up in smoke. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant, Goffey. Uh, you can hear the Palmy Army. Uh, they, they were even there. They were brilliant. Singing along. Um, but uh, what what wonderful memories, and it was just... it was. Brilliant just listening to you and Tress Gothic because, of course, I'm sure you just remember things you hadn't thought about for 15, 16 years or so. Amazing. They just flood back um, when you start talking about a series. Um, it's actually surprised me that because 
as he mentioned there, I don't think he explained it as as, as well as he uh, possibly could. Is what we used to do with Duncan Fletcher thing is, but right, we knew we were going to come up against spinners in Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka. So what he had us doing, we amount of players because cricket over there it's loved people everywhere. It was a fantastic tour, and he had us at lunchtime and at tea time every single lunch and tea. All the tailenders out there on the outfield just knocking balls back against their spinners or, or the young kids just bowling at you, some mystery spinners. And it's amazing how it helped our Laura. And look at some of the partnerships we put on down the order where we batted time and put on runs on the board, important runs, especially in that last test. I think I mm. faced 70 balls or something in the first innings. And it was vital. And it was such a big thing, but the players all bought into it. And that was one of Duncan's um, good ideas. Well, uh, it was certainly one of my favourite memories as a cricket fan and uh, it's just heartening to know that it was one of your favourite memories mm. as a cricket player and the fact that uh, all these years afterwards, after running to the pub, uh, skipping out of work essentially, to run to the pub to watch you guys win that test match, I could uh, chat to you about it on uh, on our very own show on TalkSport 2. Brilliant stuff and we're just going to have to pick another test match to do next week. You're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Short pull by Tony all the way. Well, you don't get away with it twice, I guess. MS Tony has stacked his authority. Stokes go big and Stokes go pure. That's when he rode back in a big ground. Stokes to Darwin, thrashing him through cover. Oh, that's a good shot. Can Darwin finish it off this ball? Kalkani delivers. Pulling through mid-wicket. Has he found the gap? He has. Shikha Darwin will be the man not out on 77 as the sun rises. Hyderabad beat the Rajasthan Royals by nine wickets. Russell 67. Will he go again? Of course he will. Of course he goes again. Six, six, six. So after five weeks uh, of action on TalkSport 2, the IPL has uh, reached the business to end of the tournament. And I suppose, Goffrey, the big news, apart from uh, Kings Eleven Punjab's horrendous fall-off in form, is the fact that Mumbai Indians will not be playing in the final week uh, to defend their crown, uh, going down in pretty disappointing fashion to the Delhi Daredevils in the last uh, game of their season. The bottom side uh, pulling off the win and Mumbai Indians uh, won't be in the final four. It's been a strange uh, season for the Mumbai Indians. Um, they got off to an absolute uh, sh- shocker, didn't they, really? That's what's cost them in the end. They won two of the first eight games. Then they went on to a little bit of run. Then Destiny was in their own hands. All they had to do was beat the bottom team. Uh, but unfortunately for them, Delhi Daredevils, the last few games, have looked like a proper team. They look like a team I expect them to be with Ricky Ponting in charge. And it's cost them, uh, really. And uh, for Mumbai Indians, they're really the biggest club in the tournament. They're in Chennai. Mm. And they should be in uh, those final four, along with probably RCB, who are again a uh, disappointing <laughs> yeah. season. And what happened, Johnny, to Kings Eleven Punjab? Well, what happened? They were top. They were flying. Sehwag thought he got the best team in the world. They were telling everybody how good Chris Gale was, and it was the signing that's made Kings Eleven season. And they went from top to seventh. To seventh. <laughs> well, I look, talk about fall from grace. What has happened? I, I was a little surprised by how well they were doing at the start of the tournament because it did seem to me that their bowling wasn't very strong. 
and that too much of their success was based on Kale Rahul and Chris Gale scoring big runs at the top of the order. Ravi Ashwin, I thought, you know, good captaincy at the start, but you know, even that that drop off that was uh, that was something else. Uh, Mumbai Indians, yeah, you know, they've been in this position so many times over the last few years. They are perennial slow starters, but they usually finish strongly. But you know, they really bottled it uh, against Delhi on Sunday, a game we covered on Talk Sport 2. Uh, Rishabh Pant, I thought, were fantastic for mm-hmm. Delhi. But, you know, when you look at their side, Delhi, they've got Trent Bolt, who's picked up about 18 wickets. They've got Rishabh Pant, who's top scorer in the IPL. Apart from that, though, their big overseas signings have been failures. Colin Monroe didn't do it. Jason Roy didn't do it. Of course, we know what happened. I know he's not an overseas player, but he's a big name. Gautam Gambier dropped as captain. Um, and then Glenn Maxwell. Awful season from him. He played in 12 of the matches. He only scored 160-odd runs. Um, and- There'll be a few sweating um, on their participation uh, next season for Delhi. Oh, um, without a doubt. Jason Roy especially, I think... Um, it was good. It had to be a big one for him, yeah. and he's had a real poor um, tournament uh, in the IPL, which just surprises me. Really, it really does because I think he's made for that sort of razzmatazz, that sort of cricket. I think it's games his... going quick and fast. But is is the problem with him? Is but he's very much a form player. He can't battle through an inning. So when he's in form, he's absolutely outstanding. And that would back up some of his ups and downs of international cricket. Yeah. When he's in a series and scoring runs, he looks brilliant. When he's out of form. You know what I mean? He's, he's he can't build. What I'm trying to say is, but when he's out of form, he can't build innings. When you look at people like Kane Williamson, no matter what form he's in, he will find a way to score runs, and that's why you get the real world-class player as Kane Williamson is, and then you got potentially good player, the Jason Roy, who once they're out, not quite at their best, they f- come undone. Alex Ailes was very similar as well. Uh, you mentioned Kane Williamson. Uh, you know, he takes uh, a lot of plaudits and uh, stepping in as captain this year. I'm not sure he would have played as much, let alone captain the side, if David mm. Warner wasn't part of it. But there they are, sitting top of the table. Sunrisers Hyderabad, 18 points alongside Chennai Super Kings, uh, above MS Dhoni's uh, men on run rates. And it's it's these two teams that play on Tuesday, exclusively live on TalkSport 2. And it's it's a weird way that they go about... Oh, I like it. It's I the like best it. way. This I is what totally football should agree. do. I totally yeah. agree. Um, just if, you, if you're unfamiliar with the, the way it works, the top two play on Tuesday. Now, the winner of that match goes straight to the final. The second team will play the winner of the game on Wednesday. And they'll play that on Friday. Which the, is... Calcutta Knight Riders versus the Rajasthan Royals, who surprised everyone, really, with a late run to sneak into the playoffs. So, well done to Rajasthan Royals. I know, a big sigh of relief from me as well. I can't remember the team you tipped to win this year, but I tipped Rajasthan. I think I was slightly fortunate for them to get this far. Uh, But they have done, so they kind of keep my bet going. Um, But let's take that first game then. Sunrisers Hyderabad against Chennai Super Kings. Kane Williamson against uh, MS Dhoni. Surely not. Surely. <laughs> CSK. When I looked at that side at the beginning of the year, it's got it had loads of plus 35s and then some guys who'd never even played in India before. But MS Dhoni, he just knows how to get a team... Bravo and, and Shane Watson have been absolutely outstanding um, as well in this IPL. So, um... 
it, it, it's interesting. I think when you look at that game, uh, Tom Moody seems to get the job done mm. uh, for Sunrisers Hyderabad. You wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being the final. Yeah, Sunrisers Hyderabad versus CSK. And I, I think, mean, if you're actually, a betting man, that's where you put it. Yeah, that would be the final. I think I'd like to see. Well, you've seen it on Tuesday. Well, <laughs> I know it's the dress, dress, dress run, isn't it? Um, Kane Williamson, we've, we've spoken a lot about him, uh, as as we have MS Dhoni. But what I like about 2020 cricket is when you see two contrasting styles of team coming up against each other. And that is exactly what you're going to get on Tuesday and possibly on Sunday. Yep, looking forward to it. I've, I've really enjoyed the IPL. Um, it, it's difficult for me to watch every game because I'm live on drive time when the games are on, but it's on the TV, so I see lots of it, see lots of the bowlers. There's been some impressive performances. Not many of the English boys have been outstanding, if we're going to be honest. Josh well, that's Butler, what I want to talk to you about as well. I think Josh Butler has obviously come out with flying colours, the way he finished for Rajasthan Royals, and it's one of the reasons they're in to those playoffs. Geoffrey Archer... Um, has come in and, and performed really, really well. Stokes has struggled, not yeah. been at his best throughout the tournament, but it will put him in good stead going into this summer of cricket coming uh, coming up. He needed some game time, and he's got that with Rajasthan Royals. I think if they wouldn't have paid what they paid for him, I don't think he would have been necessarily um, a regular throughout the tournament. Um, but the rest of them, the English guys, have been... Phew, it, bits and pieces, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, is is that? I mean, do, what do you take from that? Is that a case that they just need more experience? Is it a case that the the twelve month a year schedule that these England players, uh, you know? Well, the owners don't. Let's let's be honest about it. I think some of the coaches, with most of the coaches being Australian things, they tend to stick to their own, don't they? It's like the Vittori. Vittori at RCB. I hate doing this because, but I think you've got to criticise some of his his selections and his coaching throughout um, his last few years at RCB. He, he's signed players who he obviously knows from New Zealand. Who really are they good enough? The players he's picked. Look at some yeah. of the players. The he's Grand picked. Home and yeah. McCallum. Yeah, there's, there's there's so many. He's got so many Kiwis in his squad. I think yeah, I think it's top heavy um, New Zealand cricketers. And it's going. Well, it's going to cost him his job, isn't it? Uh, probably because, uh, you know, if there's one thing that they don't uh, rest on, it's reputation. And uh, Royal Challengers Bangalore once again have failed in the Indian Premier League. Um, you know, and it was very Kohli critical of the middle order, seventy odd for one, um, and uh, the bowled out for about one hundred and thirty. Only AB only AB de Villiers with a score. So. Look, we've um, we've enjoyed the tournament so far. I've enjoyed the fact that unlike last year, we go, we came to that final weekend and really everything was still to play for with still one or two games to go. But the four teams to make it through, Sunrisers, Hyderabad, Chennai Super Kings, they'll play on Tuesday. Uh, Kolkata Knight Riders uh, and Rajasthan Royals will go up against each other on Wednesday. The loser of that game is out. The winner will play the loser of Tuesday's game. Confused? Well, you shouldn't be. Uh, because it actually makes sense when you think about it. Uh, shall we have a little talk about uh, about county cricket? Yeah, I think county cricket um, has been good. It's, it's kind of that mid-season break time, isn't it, now? So just to fill you in, if you look at the, the championship uh, Division 1 now, um, it's anybody's game, really. Knots have played a game more than Somerset, who's sitting second. Knots are top on 70 points after five matches. Somerset... 
Um, as I said, second on 63. Surrey in a good position in third place. My hey. tip uh, for the title in 61 points. Essex, last year's winners on 56 points of five. And Yorkshire um, sit on 52, um, just above Lancashire on 51. The ones in trouble, obviously Worcester, which I think would have been the favourites to go straight back down. Anyway, they've only got 25 points Um after five games with Hampshire just above them. Now, in Division 2, Johnny, mm. Warwickshire uh, look strong. They look too strong for anybody else in that division. And they should be, by the way, the resources they've got and the yeah. new players they've brought in. They're top, followed by Kent, Sussex, Derby, Middlesex, Leicester, nosebleed, quite high up, <laughs> actually under Paul Nixon. Please for them, Gloucester, Durham, who have got off to a shocking start to, to the season. Glamorgan and North Ants. What has happened to North Ants? All their resources obviously go into doing well in the T20 mm. competition. And they have done which, well. Which is disappointing. Um, Surrey beating Yorkshire. Uh, Surrey at one point, 160 for six. Ollie Pope, a guy that you mentioned earlier on in the programme, he's only played 10 first-class games, Goffey. I know. He's 19 and he's already hit three first-class centuries. Well, he's averaging uh, nearly 90 uh, with a bat uh, this summer, and I'm sure he would have been mentioned in some of the meetings. Fantastic player. Um, James Ildrith just keeps getting runs uh, for fun, whether it be in one-day cricket. Um, he got another big 100 yesterday, didn't he, in the Royal London Cup. Um, he's had a good season so far for Somerset. And if you look at most of the batsmen, to be fair, though, Johnny, the oval and playing for Surrey's a nice place to play your cricket. Yep. And if you look Good at conditions. the bats, when you've got Folks, Pope and Rory Burns, who are all up there in the uh, top run scorers. Um, so uh, there you go. It's uh, it's interesting. What have you thought at the start of the uh, Royal London Cup? It's It's been an interesting start for me, uh, where no, in the North group especially, I think they're so close, the teams evenly matched. You don't know. I couldn't pick a winner in that North group. They are so evenly matched. Uh, players, any team can beat anyone, and there's only Durham really who just look way, uh, way off the uh, the, the pack uh, in that group. Uh, what I like about the Royal London Cup, and uh, I can't believe we're already five matches into the county championship. By the way, I know it's unreal, isn't it? It is absolutely ridiculous. I can't work out what Notts are doing. Five games played, three wins, two losses. They just lost to Lancashire by an innings. Um, so I think you're right. I think it's going to be uh, all to play for in, in Division 1 of the County Championship. I mean, what I like about the Royal London Cup is, A, you get some, uh, you get the youngsters uh, getting a game. And some of that uh, England under-19 World Cup squad, you see a couple of those players uh, popping their heads up. Um, but also you get some of the old guard back in as well. And uh, it was good to see Gareth Batty, who can't get into the Surrey side because of Verdi, who was the youngest player to get a uh, a fiver for Surrey spinner since Pat Pocock about forty years ago? He's keeping the old skipper out of the team. So uh, bats back in the side, uh, but yeah, absolutely too tough to call uh, the North Group. Uh, but Somerset, you know, they've been there, they've done it, they've got the t-shirt, top of the league at this very early stages. Yeah, they're good at one-day cricket, full stop. They're good at all cricket, um, if we're going to uh, be honest about it. Uh, they have been for a few years. They've got some very experienced players and some talented uh, youngsters. Gloucester, flashback uh, from the uh, early 2000s when they were at a successful side, um, one-day cricket. They're another team that kind of 
build their season around performing around the one-day competitions. Sussex, I expect them to be strong, led by Jason Gillespie, um, who's had success in whether it be at the Adelaide Strikers um, in the T20 competition or whether it be Yorkshire in the county championship. Essex, an all-round good side. Um, and Hampshire, uh, they're going to be playing later on today. So, um, obviously, this uh, show is before... Uh, that match, obviously, um, so we can't give you the <laughs> what, well, what the outcome of that game is. It's Hampshire-Surrey, but it's a massive game for Surrey because they lost their opening fixture. Yeah. And so this is a massive, massive game uh, for Surrey going into this because you would have them as one of the favourites to win the competition. Well, they've reached the final of the last three and lost yeah. them all. So uh, it's it's been a bittersweet experience, the Royal London One Day Cup. Uh, Goffey, that's pretty much all we've got time for. Next week's show... Uh, back to an hour's length, we look back at the IPL final and, of course, the first test match uh, between England and Pakistan. So how are we going to ramble that into one hour? I don't know, but it'll be fun. It's been fun this week as well. Appreciate uh, you listening to TalkSport 2. It's been Darren Goss Cricket Week and we will be back uh, next week on Monday night. But that uh, is pretty much all we've got time for. Thanks for listening. It's uh, TalkSport 2 and it's Darren Goss Cricket Week. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 